Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is a beautiful day here in Southern California, and I hope that wherever you may be watching from this morning, it is just as beautiful there. And I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, I really look forward to Sunday mornings, and I look forward to getting to see some of your smiling faces, because see, you're all wearing masks, so I just assume you're smiling. Um, but I get to see some of your smiling faces, and I still get to interact with all of you on social media after church on Sunday mornings. And I do my best to go on and respond to comments and things like that. So I thank you guys so much for that. And I also want to take just a moment to thank all of you um, for all of your positive feedback and all of your warm wishes. Um, as you guys know, Ed stepped down um, as our preacher, I don't even remember when, back in January or February or somewhere around in there. And I've been doing the best that I can to fill in and kind of learn as we go. So I really, really appreciate all of that. It really helps to give me energy and to keep me going in doing what we're trying to do through this difficult time. So thank you guys all so much for your love, for your support. And we are going to dive in this morning as we continue this concept of building resilient faith. And this is something we've been working through for a while now. Because not only is building resilient faith probably now more important than ever before, but we're really taking the time to unpack each of these individual traits that we're talking about. So we're going to switch gears just a little bit this morning, and we're going to talk about five tools to successful relationships. Because see, for the last few weeks, we've been unpacking why Christian relationships are so important and why it's vital and crucial for us to be together as a church family, but we haven't really talked about the nuts and bolts, no pun intended, of exactly what that looks like or how that works. Now, here's the cool thing about this morning's sermon, and I hope that you guys are going to like this, that these tools that we're going to talk about are, are overarching pretty much every relationship that you can think of. These five things can apply to you and your spouse, to a boyfriend and girlfriend, to a brother and sister, to member to member of our church, and even our relationship with Jesus Christ. So I hope that you'll find this interesting, and I hope that you'll get something from this this morning, but we're going to just spend some time talking about five different tools that I hope you have in your tool belt or your toolbox that you would be able to use as you start to go out and build these relationships, these multi-generational relationships. I hope that you'll take these things into account. Now, these are not by any means the only five things or the only five tools that you need for successful relationships, but I hope that these are five things that you'll find impactful. So we're going to look at each one, we're going to talk a little bit about why it's important, and then we're going to go to the scripture and look at the scripture that kind of backs that up and explains that for us. So as you can see here on the screen, we've got the toolbox, which of course makes me happy because I love to use tools and I love to work with my hands, um, but we're going to just unpack this this morning, and we're going to get started with our first key verse. And this comes from Hebrews, and this starts in chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. One of my favorite passages, again, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And I love this idea of encouraging one another because see, as we build these relationships and as we come together, that's exactly what we should be doing is we should be encouraging one another, building one another up. As the Bible says, as the iron sharpens the iron, as we make each other better, as we come together, and as we really look for ways to be an encouragement to one another. See, that's one of the keys to the reason that we meet together on Sunday mornings, 
right, is to encourage one another and to be there for one another. We talked last week about the early church and how they met together every single day. Now, unfortunately, that's not something that realistically we can pull off, and we might actually get sick of each other, I don't know, but it's not something we can realistically do because we have to go to our jobs and we have families and we have other responsibilities, but that idea of wanting to be together every day, one of the reasons that they did that was to encourage one another. So I want to encourage you to be that person that really wants to lift up and to build up and encourage others. Because see, as we talk about building these multi-generational relationships, we don't want to just go to people that are like, that, like we are, right? If we're a negative person and we go seek out other negative people, well, now we just have two negative people. But if we seek out others that we can teach and we can train and we can build up and we can encourage, now we just get stronger and stronger. And it's that ripple effect that we've talked about. So let's jump into our first tool or number one, which is love. And what better place to start than with love? It's often been said that the Bible is a love story. And I think that that's absolutely correct. The Bible truly is a love story. The, the overarching theme of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is love. Love is a core principle of Christianity. It's what we're about. It's who we are. And I hope that we are known by our love and known for our love. God is the perfect representation of love, and he gave his only son for us. Show Christ's love to each other by making sacrifices for others and putting others in front of ourselves. So a big part of this first tool, right, about love is love is all about putting others' needs in front of your own. And that's a tough concept for us, right? Because we as people, as humans, as flawed humans that we are, we tend to think me, 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 right? We see a lot of that these days. Me, me, me. It's all about me and what I want. But we got to put others' needs in front of my needs because that's how we show love to one another. God did that, Jesus did that, the apostles did that, and that's all the example that we need right there is putting others in front of ourselves. So let's look at a piece of scripture here. And this comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. I love this passage. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and all of the knowledge and I have the faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. It says, if I give all that I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. This is one of my favorite passages from the New Testament. It's also a lyric from one of my favorite songs from, uh, for King and Country. But I just love what this has to say. If I can speak in tongues and I speak like an angel, but I don't love. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can explain all of the mysteries of the Bible and all of the mysteries of God, but I don't have love, then what do I have? Nothing. The Bible makes it very clear that without love, we have nothing. One of the most commonly used words in the Bible is love. 
Because again, it's that overarching theme from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible is love. Love one another. Love God. It's that simple. So we've got to have love. And again, this can relate to any of the relationships in your life. Now, obviously, there's different kinds of love. And your love that you have for your fellow church member or your brother and sister in Christ is going to be different than the love that you have for your spouse or for your children. But it's all about love and the concept and the principle of love. So that's our first tool that we want to look at. The second one, and this is a big one, forgiveness. Right? Forgiveness. The Bible has a lot to say about forgiveness. But it should be in our nature as Christians to forgive those that trespass against us. This is a hard, hard thing to do. It's hard to forgive people. Especially when you don't think, and notice I say you, and I mean you, and I mean me, when we don't think that they're deserving of our forgiveness. Because maybe they didn't ask for our forgiveness. Or maybe because we're on our high horse, we don't feel like, hey, I'm not going to forgive that person because you know what? I don't have to. Because you know what? I don't want to. We're taught to forgive through Jesus' death on the cross. It says, Christ died on the cross so that our sins would be forgiven while also asking his Father to forgive his tormentors. The Bible talks over and over and over about the need for forgiveness. And forgiveness is one of those strange things where we do it for other people, but guess what? We do it just as much for ourselves. Because when you don't forgive, it eats away at you, and it eats away at you, and it eats away at you. And you're really hurting yourself more than you're hurting the other person. Because when you don't forgive, it's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It doesn't work that way. We have to forgive whether people are deserving in our minds of our forgiveness or not. Because Christ died for us, and we certainly didn't deserve it. Think about the time that Christ died on the cross. At that time, most of the world didn't even believe in Jesus. They thought he was a fake or a fraud or a phony. They thought he was some kind of magician or sorcerer. You can even read in the Bible where they thought he was possessed. They didn't even believe in him, yet he loved us enough and wanted us to be forgiven of our sins to the point that he was willing to be tormented and die one of the most painful deaths imaginable. He suffered that humiliation, the shame, and the death on the cross so that we could be forgiven. That's powerful. Because the next time you think that somebody doesn't deserve your forgiveness, let's take a hard look at our own lives. We mess up every single day. Every day. Whether we want to admit it to ourselves or not, we need forgiveness from Jesus every single day. Imagine if he hadn't have gone to the cross for us. Imagine if Jesus had said, like we often say to other people, you know what, these people are not worthy of my forgiveness. So I'm just not going to do it. Imagine if you were truly held responsible for every word that you said and everything that you did for the rest of your life without the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And that's why we have to remember that we have got to forgive. And when you talk about the context of relationships, think about the relationships in your life. Think about if you never forgave anyone for the mistakes that they made. If you're married, think about your spouse. 
Think about your spouse. Think about if you never got forgiveness for the mistakes that you made with your spouse when you lost your cool or when you did something or didn't do something and they just held that against you for the rest of your life. See, that's what our lives would look like if Jesus hadn't loved us enough to go to the cross for us to offer us that forgiveness that we could have never earned on our own. So when you're building these relationships and when you're truly wanting to have a relationship with someone, you've got to forgive. Because guess what? We're people and we make mistakes. And unfortunately, that's not going to stop anytime soon. Just ask my wife. She'll be happy to tell you. I make mistakes probably every day. But see, the difference is, is she forgives me when I make those mistakes. Just like Jesus forgives us every single day day when we make mistakes. Let's go to the scripture, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Matthew 6, 14 says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. See, he forgives me when I forgive others. So if you didn't need to hear anything else about forgiveness, and you didn't want to hear anything else about forgiveness, and you didn't want to look at any other scripture about forgiveness, just look at this. If I want my Father to forgive me, I've got to forgive others. It's, it's just vital, this concept of forgiveness. Because again, it's as much for me as it is for them. And this scripture points that out to us. That if I'm not forgiving others, guess what? The Father's not going to forgive me. Let's look at our third tool, which is faithfulness. Faithfulness is a principle that we can apply to our faith and our relationships. To be faithful is to be reliable, unwavering, and steadfast. It says Jesus modeled faithfulness in his promise to never leave us or forsake us. And when the Bible speaks of God's faithfulness, we see how over and over again, when God says he will do something, he does it. And he follows through. See, he's faithful to the promises that he made to us. He's faithful to that promise that if we are to live faithfully and follow Jesus, that we're going to have eternal life in heaven. Imagine what this life would be like if we didn't have that promise of eternal life. And we didn't have enough trust in God's faithfulness to know that that was true. This would be a pretty sad existence. Because it's not all sunshine and roses here. And just think if this was it. This is all we had to look forward to. That'd be a pretty grim outlook on life. But see, Jesus tells us in the Bible, I will never leave or forsake you. And that, that comes into play. That comes into play sometimes because sometimes when life is not going the way that I want it to go, when I'm not getting the things that I think I should be getting, what happens? I start to question, where's God? Where's God? I didn't get the promotion. Where's God? I lost a relationship in my life. Where's God? I have a family member that gets sick. Where's God? God is faithful. And we have to show that same faithfulness to other people. Husbands and wives have to be faithful to one another. Boyfriends and girlfriends have to be faithful to one another or those relationships are not going to work. But what about our friendships and our relationships that we have with others inside of the church? What does faithfulness to those people look like? 
It means that we show up for those people when they need us the most. It means that we do what we say we're going to do. If I tell Jason I'm going to come over on Saturday and help him with a project, he expects me to come over on Saturday and help him with a project. And if I just don't show up, I'm not being faithful to that promise that I made. And Jason's probably going to question my motives or question my friendship with him because I wasn't faithful to our relationship enough to at least give him a call and say, hey, something came up, I can't make it. See, we got to show up for each other. we got to show up for each other when it's not convenient. we got to show up for each other because we love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we got to be faithful to those relationships. Show up. Be there. Do what you say you're going to do. Again, this applies to any kind of relationship you want to look at. Friendships, church members, spouses, faithfulness. Without it, you're not going to have positive, successful relationships. So let's look at a couple of scriptures. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. So there we see it. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. And it's right up there with love, joy, peace, kindness. It's right there. It's all lumped together. It's not separated. So obviously, it was important enough for Paul to include this in the fruits of the Spirit. That means it's pretty important for us, wouldn't you think? Faithfulness. We've got to be faithful during the difficult times. It's easy to be faithful during the the easy times, right? It's easy to be faithful when everything is going our way. I got a promotion at work. My relationship is great. I just got a new car. Life is good. Thank you, God. Thank you for being there when I needed you. Easy. Easy to be faithful. But what about when things are not going good? What about when there's a pandemic out there? What about when things are getting tough at work? What about when my relationship feels like it's falling apart? Am I still faithful at that point? Or now do I start going, "Hmm, where, where am I at with God then? Because he's faithful to me. Am I being just as faithful to him when things aren't going my way? Because that's what he's looking at. Am I being faithful to him when things aren't going my way? Faithfulness is crucial to our relationship to God and every relationship that we have, even though it may look a little bit different depending on the relationship. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. It says, God is faithful. It says, who has called you to fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul's words are pretty clear. God is faithful. We've got to model that in our relationships. Let's look at our fourth tool, and that's understanding. It says, sometimes our egos get in the way of understanding those who we love and care about. Egos. I'm going to say, guilty. I've been guilty of this in the past. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, at some point we've been guilty of this too goes back to that me, me, me society that we live in. Our egos get in the way. And that prevents us from truly understanding 
what other people are going through. And if we're not truly making an effort to understand the situation that people are in and where they're coming from and where their relationships are, then we can't truly have a relationship with them. It says, we often have a need to be right. And that makes what others think and feel so wrong for us. Anybody relate to that one? Let's just be honest. Right? We have this innate need to be right. Right? We all have it. Some of us may hide it better than others. But we all want to be right. But what happens is our desire to be right can kill our relationships with other people. Husbands, go home and try being right in every conversation you have with your wife. Let me know how that goes. Because I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it's not going to go well. If I go home and tell my wife that I'm always right no matter what, guess what? She is not going to be a happy camper. And neither am I. Understanding helps us center our relationships on Christ. See, we've got to try to understand other people. People who are different from us. People that look different than us. People that talk different than us. People that vote different than us. Our common thing that brings us together, even though we may not understand them, is Jesus Christ. And if we keep him in the center and we focus on him, all of that other stuff doesn't really matter at the end of the day. We got to put those differences aside. We got to put aside the fact that you're not voting for the right candidate, in my opinion. And I don't talk politics, I'm not going to mention names. But, but we got to put those things aside and focus on Jesus Christ. Because guess what? When we do that, when we focus up, all of this stuff fades out. But we got to do that. We got to focus on Jesus Christ and stop focusing on all this nonsense that doesn't matter. Understanding helps us focus on Jesus. We've got to understand people. You know, we, we have our, our groups, right, in church. We have our groups. We have our friends, which is great. We have our family. We like to sit in the same pew every time, except now. Now we kind of split you guys out into different, different areas. But, but my point is, when we try and get together with our church family, and we try to truly understand them and where they're coming from and how they may be different than you, and we do that by focusing on Jesus, then all that other misunderstanding stuff goes away. So let's look at some scripture. Proverbs. I love the book of Proverbs. I get to read Proverbs all day. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. Underline that. Highlight that. Whatever you like to do in your Bible, Lean not on your own understanding. In all ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Again, this is what I was getting at. If we're focused on him, right, we're on that straight path, then all this other stuff doesn't matter, and it goes away. Let's look at our fifth tool. Our fifth tool is joy. Our fifth tool is joy. It says joy is what God desires for us in our relationships not for us to be miserable. God doesn't want us to be miserable. I hear people tell me that, that are not Christians. They say, I don't want to be a Christian because Christians are miserable. They have all these rules and all these regulations. I don't want to do that. 
Well, they've clearly missed the point. Because I'm a Christian, and I'm certainly not miserable. I'm very joyful. Some people will tell you I'm a little too joyful sometimes, and that's okay. But if you're not finding joy in your relationships, and you don't enjoy spending time with one another as a church family, then what's going to happen when we get to heaven and that's all we have to do? We've got to find joy in each other. We've got to find joy in our relationships. Otherwise, we're going to go and live and go through this miserable world being miserable. And I don't know about you, but if I'm trying to set the example of Christ, and I'm trying to do something in my life that draws other people to me, if I'm walking around miserable all the time, how many people are going to see Christ as a positive thing? I talk about this all the time with my youth group. Being the example, being Jesus to others, being a walking Bible is so important. And if you're walking around with your head down all the time, woe is me, life is terrible, then you've missed the point. Because, see, we all have joy in the fact that one day, when all of this goes away, we have heaven. And if that doesn't give us joy, I don't know what does. It says, if we're experiencing anything less than joy in our relationships with others, then you're dealing with the wrong people. Sometimes we have to cut people out of our lives. And it's not easy. It's not easy. But sometimes when people are taking the joy from our lives, or people are trying to lead us down the wrong path, or people are trying to detract our focus from Jesus, then we have to cut those people out of our lives. And it may be really, really hard at the time, but in the long run, if that increases the joy that you find in Jesus Christ, then that's what we have to do. It says, with the Holy Spirit, we have the opportunity to be filled with joy and peace so that we may be overflowed with hope. And joy is another one of those fruits of the Spirit. Remember just a few slides back, we talked about the fruits of the Spirit, and joy was right there. Because joy is important. Yes, do, do we live by a set of standards in the Bible? Of course we do. That's not what I'm saying. But we can live inside of those parameters and still have joy and hope. Because we have Jesus. And if that doesn't give us joy, then we've missed the point. We've missed that relationship. Maybe that's what's missing in our lives, is the relationship not just with one another, but that relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when you have it, it brings you joy. And when you have a relationship with your church family, it brings you joy. And when you have positive relationships with friends and with family and with spouses, it brings you joy. Jesus doesn't want us to be miserable. I don't read anywhere in the Bible where it says, I want you to be miserable and mopey and just be in a bad mood all the time. I don't read that. But what I do read is that we take joy in one another and we take joy in the hope that we have of everlasting life. Let's look at Romans 15, 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There we see that word joy again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. We have that relationship with Jesus Christ, and we're in that right relationship with Jesus Christ. We have the joy, we have the hope, and that gives us peace. And the last scripture we're going to look at today is Psalms chapter 37, verse 4. 
Psalms 37.4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. It's all about the hope and the joy. All right, so where's our takeaway? Here's our takeaway. We've got to use all the tools that we have and that we've been given and that we find in the Bible to, to, to create meaningful and successful relationships with each other, with our families, with our spouses, and with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning, or maybe you're watching online this morning, and you've never had a chance to be baptized for the remission of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have an opportunity to do that here this morning. Or if you're online, please reach out to us, and we'll be happy to assist you with that. Well, thank you so much for joining us, whether you're here in person or whether you are uh, joining us online this morning. We are just thrilled to have you here. We're thankful that we have this technology available to us uh, to be able to continue to meet together wherever we may be. In just a moment, we're going to close out in prayer, and I'm going to do something I don't normally do, and uh, I'm going to ask for some prayers here this morning. Um, This past week, uh, my best friend lost his mother very suddenly. Uh, She had a massive stroke um, and was gone within a matter of hours, and it's been a very difficult week. Um, She's been like a second mother to me, so it's been very, very hard. And her memorial service is going to be on Friday, and they've asked me to perform the memorial service. So it's going to be a very challenging week, and I'm going to ask you guys for some prayers and just to give me the the strength and the the wisdom as I go forward with planning the the ceremony to be able to do that. And, of course, uh, for my best friend Mark and his his mother Nancy. So um, please join me in prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we had to come together this morning to lift up your name in songs and in words of prayer, to partake of communion as a church family, and to learn another portion of your word. Heavenly Father, as we get ready to go our separate ways, we ask that you just continue to be with us, continue to keep us safe. And most of all, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for that relationship that we have with you and that relationship that you crave from us and that we crave from you. We pray that we'll continue to use these tools to strengthen that relationship with you and with others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Have a great week. Still your love fought for me